Okay, 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 okay. Ugh. Mm. Okay. Okay, so... Purple Rain, no. Sign of the Time. Definitely not. The Batman soundtrack, sorry. Oh, Star Wars is... Uh, no. Same coming. I like it. Hello and welcome. You are listening to Goat or Go, a comprehensive and slightly opinionated look at the Rolling Stone 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. I am, of course, as always, your host, Wendy Kay. Welcome back, listeners, and if you're new to this podcast, welcome, music lovers. This is a podcast where I talk about my personal opinions, my first impressions of a band or artist and where they're placed on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. So today, we're going to be looking at spot number 487, and today we get to talk about Black Flag and their album Damage from 1981, and the return of Cindy Lauper's She's So Unusual from 1983, and finally, we get to talk about the Smashing Pumpkins, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness from 1995. So, let's jump right into it. Let's get through this. I'm going to be honest, dear listeners, I'm going to start off right off the bat by saying I'm not going to really talk about Cyndi Lauper's album all too much because I've already covered it. If you want to listen to my thoughts and opinions about it, check out the episode 494 where I discuss Cyndi Lauper. She's so unusual. I also talk about MGMT's Ocular Spectacular and the Ronettes presenting the Fabulous Ronettes. It's a good time, great episode. But anyway, so today we're going to be mostly covering Black Flag and the Smashing Pumpkins, because these are bands that I'm actually very unfamiliar with, and getting through these albums was a little bit of a trek, a little bit of a turn. Here's what Rolling Stone had to say about Black Flag and the album Damaged. MCA refused to release this album, denouncing it as immoral, in quotes, and anti-parent, in quotes. High praise, but Black Flag lived up to it, defining L.A. hardcore punk with Greg Jinn's violent guitar and the pissed-off scream of Henry Rollins, especially in TV Party and Rise Above, which came with the timeless smash-the-glass salvo, We are tired of your abuse. Try to stop it, but it's no use. Punks still listen to damage and parents still hate it. Black Flag's damage is also number 340 in 2012 and 2003. I think I have found... I have found my punk limit, folks. I think I've, I've found the, uh, the big boss. The ultimate punk. The punk that I haven't encountered quite yet, because I'm also still very new to the punk scene. You know, I could understand the punk's when it came to the Ramones and um, Suicide by Suicide. Suicide was a little hard to get through because of the subject matter, especially in Frankie Teardrop. Black Flag is an entirely different band and punk scene that I am very unfamiliar with. So, forgive me for some things. This album was so hard to get through. The thing about damaged and what black flag did to me was it made me think really hard because 
I'm going to start off by saying this album made me uncomfortable. It made me uncomfortable in the overwhelming sensation of someone screaming in your face and you're not quite sure if they're going to hurt you. When I thought that Frankie Teardrop was a hard song to get through, with ending the line, we are all Frankies, I didn't think that we were going to have a band that took that imagery and that symbolism of we are all Frankies and literally dragged me down into a hell that I had never heard before. This was a hell that was so personal. This was a hell that I can see how frightened parents could be about it. I was a little frightened by it, too. It's a sound that Pearl Jam recorded in Stupid Mop. It's a sound of people struggling to find their way through this world. Let me start with the good things. Let me start with the things that I think this band does really well, and there's moments of from this band that I actually really did enjoy. Don't get me wrong, like, this band was a very heavy sound for me to get through, and, you know, after this band, I decided that I needed to listen to Cindy Lauper, but it's really funny listening to the song TV Party, especially now that we're in the era of streaming, and you can gain access to millions of shows right at your fingertips, and so, like, the idea of people getting together, drinking beers, and watching their shows, and, like, the power going out, and people not being able to access their shows is really fucking funny to me, because we're no longer tied to cable in any way, so we can access TV on any device, anywhere. It's really interesting listening to that song with the shift to TV culture that we all know today. I forget which song this is, but I love that Black Flag basically said fuck cops. I'm glad that that uh, the punk scene continues to say fuck authority and fuck anybody who likes them. I also just don't understand how anybody can listen to any of this music and think that they are for any authority figure whatsoever. The appropriation of the punks in white supremacy groups just it boggles my mind. I want to understand that connection. I really do. But the singer understands how vulnerable who the listener is. Not only because singer is screaming his lyrics out loud and you can you feel that way down deep in your soul. It's like a gut punch. It's so visceral and it's so raw and it's so hard. It is really hard to listen to. But the second to last song on this album is Life of Pain. And he's singing the same way as he has, sing- has been singing to us. Or he has been singing the same way that we have been, like, an active participant in hearing his pain and in hearing what's been going on. And now he's directing that same amount of energy to the listener and telling us to not hurt ourselves, to not self-destruct, and to stay strong, and to struggle through, and to find something to to keep going. And I think that is 
honestly very beautiful. I know I'm probably reading a lot into this, but there is something so powerful in someone turning to this music and probably trying to, like, drown out something or, you know, trying to find connection in a world that seems very, very much intent to not connect with them in some way. And so maybe, like, I don't know, maybe I read it a little, I, I felt a little too into this, and maybe it's just my apathy brain kind of going haywire. But, you know, if you're seeking solace in someone who's, like, who's viscerally screaming for someone to listen to them, you also feel that. You feel that so deeply. And then to have that person screaming these lyrics about not hurting yourself and not bringing harm to yourself. Like, it's so, it's so fucking powerful because suddenly you're connecting to the music on a wholly different level. Like, the pain that the singer is singing about is something that you also recognize within yourself. And because you recognize that, the singer is then also trying to connect into your own soul and trying to channel your pain into something productive and into a force to be used into this world. I don't know. I'm I'm really struggling to um talk about this. Like it's very it's very hard. I'm trying. I'm really trying. There's a lot of good moments in the pain. I especially really liked the drum roll that was happening in the beginning of the song No More because it kind of reminded me of an executioner's drum roll. And I'm sure that that was the intent because it slowly just kind of prolonged, 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 and then it launched into the song and I thought that was very, very clever. So good touch, guys. Some standout lyrics for me were, they say things are going to get better. All I know is they fucking better. Keep me alive, only you can do it. And no, I won't believe in this at all. I'm not happy. I'm not free. Paycheck to paycheck, living for what? Each night I get drunk to get sunk. Also, the lyrics in Padded Cell I thought were really, really good. The imagery and whatnot that the singer invokes and what the band is invoking in their songs is not new imagery when it comes to punk. I mean... For God's sakes, like, there is a song called Teenage Lobotomy that happens in a Ramones song, so, and, you know, like, talking about suicide, and the the song Frankie Teardrop, and how it's trying to tell the story of the everyman, and then suddenly he's caught up in society, and he can't find a way out, and then murdering his family, and then being sent to hell, and how we are also all in hell. We are all Frankie. And then also, the song Stupid Mob from Pearl Jam and biology, but it's interesting because even though there's these elements of dealing with mental illness and being seen as an outsider and not fitting in with the society, I don't know, like, you know, punk, to me, it seemed like at this point sort of became so much more internal hatred. Maybe, maybe someone can correct me on this. I, I would love to, I would love to have some more commentary about punk. I don't know. When I think about punk, I think about how you are saying fuck society because you are making this situation worse. You are making me worse. You are 
the authority figures in this world don't understand what is going on, and I can see the world clear as day, like, black and white and all that jazz. But this album in particular felt more like the singer internalizing all of that pain and all of that struggle and that anger and directing it back into himself and being stuck in this cycle of depression and not being able to find a way out. I mean, the album literally ends with him screaming, stay out, as if he were screaming at us to get out of his room and to get out of, to get out of this moment with him. And it felt like a very forceful expulsion. But the thing about it is, like, the f- the singer is not looking for pity, and he even sings about it, not wanting any pity. And I don't pity him at all. Like, I think it's just I'm more, like, I'm just trying to understand. I can understand why parents might be just a tiny, tiny bit concerned about their kids listening to Black Flag and listening to these songs, because... Maybe part of it is, it's just kind of like, get out of my life, dad, slam store. But also, like, I don't know. It is a little concerning. Like, this album made me very uncomfortable, like I said. And I basically just sort of, like, put on She's So Unusual just to sort of reset my mood and reset my tone and reset how I was feeling and try to try to get out of this headspace. But... Black Flag is gonna be kinda, kinda scratching in the back of my head. You know, I, I think this album's gonna stick with me for a while. Yeah, this is a, this isn't, this is, this is punk. This is as far as I think I can go with punk music. Dear listener. And that's okay. Like, I'm glad to have at least made it to this part of any genre, you know, any sort of, hardcore. Like, am I hardcore now for having listened to Black Flag? Comment below. Let me know. I think, whew, it took me on a ride, and it's gonna make me think for a little bit, to be honest, personally. You know, if you have been listening to this podcast for a long time, this is probably, like, the hardest... There is a big cultural shock um, if you've listened to me for long enough. I'm personally surprised I've listened to this album. But that's what this musical education is, you know, this musical journey of getting into bands that you may have heard about or, you know, maybe seen some things about, but, you know, haven't really talked about it or haven't really learned anything. So, you know what? Like, I would say thanks, Rolling Stone, for including Black Flag. So I get to re-listen to these guys at some point. I will say, I'm not quite sure if I'm going to be, how I'm going to feel about that, but you know, that's for several hundred more podcast episodes to come. So, you know, my thoughts might change. Punk and hardcore stuff may really grow on me. Okay, so fun fact, when I was looking up, because Black Flag's damage is from 1981, Cindy Lauper's She's Some Unusual is only two years apart. It was produced in 1983. And I think that that is really surprising because, you know, when people think about the 1980s, you know, they probably do think about, like, Cyndi Lauper and Madonna and Michael Jackson and, like, all these other, like, really big pop icons. But then you have these motherfuckers 
like Black Flag that are just like in the punk scene and in the DIY record making business and just doing their thing and trying to survive and and obviously having a fan base and stuff. And you know what? Fucking good for them. Honestly, like I'm glad that these motherfuckers exist because like not everything needs to be pop bubblegum and all of that. Sometimes you just need to have some guy screaming in your face and telling you that the world is on fire and, you know, we have to live through it. So the other album that I want to talk about today is The Smashing Pumpkins, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness from 1995. Listen here, dear listener. So I'm not going to actually read the Rolling Stone description of Melancholy because the thing about it is the update from 2012 does not include the, the description or the review of Melancholy, and I'm too lazy to search it up online right now. What I will say is that their debut album, Siamese Dreams, is at number 341 in 2020, and at 362 in 2012, and 360 in 2003. I thought I didn't have any sort of relationship with the Smashing Pumpkins. I barely know who they are. I initially thought that they were the Chop Suey guys, and when speaking to a friend about that, they informed me that that is a System of a Down song, which I need to know more about System of a Down, obviously. They also wrote the song Bullet with Butterfly Wings, which I just know as the Despite All My Rage, I'm Still Just a Rat in a Cage song. I will say, listening to this album is really weird. Okay. So, personal story time. So, I don't know what happened when I came across Melancholy, as I'm going to keep calling it from now on. So, either Spotify or the 2012 re-release of Melancholy. But when I was trying to follow along the lyrics online, this album just fucking was, like, scattered to the wind. Like, the track listing was not correct in any way, shape, or form. Also, I will say, and I want you to, I want you to, hey, 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 Mr. Smashing Pumpkins, um, why in the ever-living fuck is this album almost six hours long? Like, I understand that you really love, like, your work and stuff, but I just want to say this out loud right now. Why in the fuck is this remastered or reissued release of your album, which, by the way, is 30 songs long, so that is a really long, long album. Why do you have so many alternate takes, demo takes, everything? You just threw in the entire kitchen sink. If any Smashing Pumpkins fans have listened to the entire almost six hours of this album. Good for you, but also, what the fuck are you doing with your life? Once I saw how long this album was, I forget at what point I was just like, when does this album end? I just scrolled at the bottom of Spotify and I saw how long it was, and I just was like, nope, I straight up refuse. So what I listened to was where the album actually ends. Okay, so the last song that I listened to was Farewell and Goodnight. Now, thank you for letting me get that off my chest. 
I was floored. I was like, what is wrong with you people? I will also say it was a really, 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 really good thing that I listened to She's So Unusual because that felt like a palate cleanser to whatever I was going to be anticipating with the Smashing Pumpkins because if I thought that they were the Chop Suey guys or, you know, the Rat in a Cage people, I needed to mentally prepare my brain for that. So I was thankful for Cindy Lauper talking about masturbation for just a hot, hot second. And I was pleasantly surprised by this album. There was a lot of thought that went into Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness that I kind of didn't expect when it came to a Smashing Pumpkins album. But then again, I didn't really have a whole lot of expectations for the Smashing Pumpkins to begin with. So what the fuck do I know? This band in particular makes me think that there is some sort of connection and maybe they were inspired somewhat by the theatricality of Kiss, especially having just listened to Destroyer again. So not only do they have this sort of theatricality going behind them, like this big and grandiose kind of scale with their songs, it made me think two things. One, the Red Hot Chili Peppers wishes that they were the Smashing Pumpkins. I can see the Smashing Pumpkins having been an inspiration for My Chemical Romance and Welcome to the Black Parade. Now, like, rock operas are not new in any way. I mean, one of my favorite albums is Green Day's American Idiot, which we'll get to at some point. But this was unlike a rock album that I have listened to, because it's not so much of an album as it more is a magnum opus. This album has more line notes and has more people commenting on Genius.com annotating the lyrics like no other band I have ever seen before. Like, you Smashing Pumpkins fans really fucking love this band. And props to you and power to the brand and whatnot. I'm glad you have dedicated your time to analyzing these lyrics, studying these lyrics, listening to this music. I'll tell you, that work really pays off, especially when it comes to lyrics like emptiness is loneliness and loneliness is cleanliness and cleanliness is godliness and God is empty just like me to the world is a vampire and coil my tongue around her bubblebee mouth and Mayfair Mistress of the Satellites. Those are just some really great standout lyrics from this 3-track magnum opus. It starts off with Infinite Sadness, which is a soft piano and strings track, and it ends with a song called Farewell and Good Night, which is a lullaby, where everybody in the band sort of, like, has their moment in the spotlight and wishes good things to come and wishes the listener well on their way out the door. Unlike Black Flag, which had the door kind of slammed in our face and telling us to stay out, they stick the landing to the album because everybody in the band takes a part in singing it, and it recycles the beginning soft piano and strings so that there's this cyclical nature about the album, which I think is lovely. And then the, immediately the second track you get into is Jelly Bean, and this is where I was like, ah, so this is the Smashing Pumpkins that I have come to know. But for the most part, this band, and this album in particular, doesn't feel like it's from 1995, except for the song 1979, 
which is a song that I have actually heard because it's been played on alternative rock stations. And I've always wondered what the words were because I've never looked them up, nor can I understand what Billy Corgan is saying half of the time anyway. But man, 1979 is a very big mood. And I think it captures a really interesting time in American pop culture, and especially in an interesting time for this band in particular. The lyrics to these songs are just, they're stock full of literary references, personal entries about love, loss, and the unhappiness of a broken marriage and a relationship, pop culture references, allusions to other bands, such as Nine Inch Nails and Nirvana, and, like, this album is literally everything in the kitchen sink, but it's not a messy album, to say the least, and I'm thankful. I'm really, actually, I'm very thankful that I started this project because of this. Because this is an album that I want to have in my car all the fucking time. Because this album goes in so many weird directions, too. Like, Love as a song has some weird synth stuff going on. But then you come into the song Cupid de Locke with the harps, which is a wild departure from love. And then you have Take Me Down, which is just a beautiful ballad. And the transition from this soft and tender song like Take Me Down to the overpowering guttural rage that is where boys fear to tread is wild. Like, you are on this roller coaster with the Smashing Pumpkins, whether you fucking like it or not, motherfucker, you may as well buckle up and enjoy it. And nowhere do you feel that kind of journey, and you better enjoy this ride, than the song XYU, which, in the uh, genius lyrics, people have called a monster of a song, and I can only imagine what this must feel like at a concert. I just can't imagine everybody collectively losing their minds. How epic a Madison Square Garden concert would be, just everybody losing their goddamn mind at XYU. Like, oof. See, and this is why I miss live events, because I can't, like, oh, it makes me want to go back. It makes me want, it makes me want to be in a large room with Thousands of people screaming along to your favorite band, and then performing the hell out of a song. Like, only at a concert, baby. The earbuds that I've been using have really good quality to them, but it's like, it's nothing like being at a concert. Nothing will ever take that away from me. Even though this album, I said, doesn't feel like the 90s album, Beautiful is the only song that feels like a true 90s song. Don't know how I would describe a 90s song, but Beautiful is a song from the 90s, and probably will stay that way forever. I'm so thankful that I don't know all that much about this band. And I'm so thankful that, you know, even though I have heard Bullet with Butterfly Wings before, and obviously 1979, I'm so thankful I got to experience this album for the first time. Anybody who's never taken the chance and listened to a Smashing Pumpkins record, this is a great introduction to that. With that, dear listener, only one of these albums gets to be considered a greatest of all time, as we all know. And having taken down 
Cindy Lauper, while I'm thankful for her palate cleanse note, I will say that the greatest of all time record moving forward, and one that I'm really thankful that I listened to, is the Smashing Pumpkins, Melancholy, and the Infinite Sadness. I'm going to put this album underneath B.B. King, Live in Cook County Jail, and above Phil Spector and various artists back in mono, 1958 to 1969. That feels about right. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, remember to follow me on social media, and if you want to support the show, you can always check out my Patreon. And let's drop that track. Goat or Go is a podcast created and hosted by me, Wendy K. I also edit the podcast. Original artwork is by Paige A. Special thanks to the entire Rolling Stone magazine writing team. Without you, there wouldn't be this podcast. Follow the podcast on social media, Goat or Go Pod. If you want to support the show on Patreon, link is in the show notes. Thank you so much, music lovers. Keep on listening, and I'll see you next week.